really excited today to have the American Business Brokers Association President Will Bruce with us. We're with Tom Art. We're, we're also with Shipman Northcutt of North Wake Commercial, Tom Art with Oak Capital Advisors. And we have the man himself, the uh, person we consider certainly a mentor and has provided advice really throughout the nation. I don't know how many international deals you've done, Brute. Will, have you done any? Yeah, we sold a Russian port years ago. That was interesting. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, well, I think the Russian mafia was the seller. We never really identified them, but... Uh, Did you get paid in rubles? No. <laughs> I, I got wired a, a fee. I was a little hesitant to give them my routing and bank information, and I, I alerted my bank branch manager that doing that and to please watch the account. He came in. <laughs> nice. Well, that's a that's I don't know if you've talked about that in your workshop, but that's a good one. But let's just jump into the topic. I mean, now more than ever in 2020, and, and this is a bit of a setup because I think the answer is yes. But do people need a business broker and why do they need a business broker? I'll start. Uh, yes, they need a business broker in these times, particularly. I think it's more important uh, to have somebody that's experienced and can navigate the uh, pitfalls. And there are a lot of pitfalls in it, no doubt, uh, and more right now than we've had in the past or that we'll have uh, in the future, I think. So, yes, there was a survey not too many years ago that showed uh, essentially that businesses with a business broker on one and none on the other, no business broker on the other one. The one broker sold for 18% more uh, and quicker. So yes, I think it's important to have experienced uh, team member with you as far as a business. You know, that's a, that's a phrase you could, you could talk about uh, certified or a business intermediary, but what does a broker or intermediary really do to add value in any kind of a transaction, even before the transaction buyer or seller gets going? What, what do they add that, let's say, uh, I don't know, the financial advisor or the lawyer, uh, what's different than the other professionals you may have in a business? Good question. You know, I think one thing would be, and, and this is one step in the process and only one step, but I think it's where we might bring a substantial value to the table. And that's in recasting the profit and loss statements of businesses. The recasting exercise is an attempt to uncamouflage the bookkeeping practices of most privately held business owners. Are a lot of let me, let me phrase this uh, delicate. Uh, there are in most cases a lot of personal expenses run through the business by the business owner that are not necessary to the operation of the business, and in some cases have absolutely no relationship to the business. Uh, so, in the recasting process that we do, we we adjust for those kind of expenses in an attempt to show the true and accurate cash profitability of the business. We, we do that, in fact, to show 
what the total owner's benefit is of owning that business, regardless of how they take the money out of it. So some of those, it's not really a questionable practice. It may be a little sloppy sometimes accounting by that business or enterprise or business owner to run some of those personal expenses through the account. But discerning those, adding those back and creating more of a true sense of what the new owner is buying is part of the job of the business broker is what you're saying, is it not? It's exactly right. And another job of the business broker that an owner by himself has trouble doing is maintaining confidentiality. If word gets out on the street that the business is for sale, nothing good happens for either the buyer or seller of the business. Employees get nervous and start jumping ship. The suppliers and vendors to the business get nervous and might uh, pull the uh, account. Uh, it's just a bad situation. So brokers are attuned to the critical need for confidentiality. And uh, that's an important place where we bring more value. It's interesting because in the retail or real estate market, the residential real estate market, you want a pre-marketing sign-up. You want the for sale sign-up. In a business, that sign is a sign of potential trouble if it's loudly indicated out there and you don't have a business broker protecting that confidentiality. Does that make sense? Yeah. A real estate agent will go put a sign in front of the uh, property and tell the world it's for sale. We can't do that and don't do that. Excellent. Uh, a question. Can we talk about how to value a business down now in the midst of, again, we're hopefully mid or to the later stages of the COVID-19 crisis here in 2020, but is there anything that could impact the business now with the PPP and all these other factors? And can a business broker help with that? Yeah, I think so. Just before we went on the air, uh, Tom was talking about a webinar he had attended that addressed some of those points. Tom, I, I wasn't on that webinar. What was the deal? The uh, point of the webinar is that uh, the, uh, the, the terms of the PPP loans are changing and what's going to be forgiven and what's not going to be forgiven is changing. And therefore, if the buyer or if the seller has a PPP loan, the buyer has got to be very careful about what liability he may be accepting that he doesn't realize he's accepting. You've got a stock sale. It's pretty clear. You're taking on whatever liabilities the corporation has. If it's an asset sale, pretty dicey in terms of are you assuming a, a liability or not? Who's got that liability? Uh, so there's a lot of questions now that have to be answered according to this webinar based on this very recent changes, like what, yesterday in uh, PPP terms. Yeah. I don't think, go ahead, Will. Just going to say that's one of the responsibilities of a good business broker is to stay abreast of all those issues. One of the things you said in our last conversation that you saw this COVID-19 and the worry that some business owners may have about selling the business and people worried about buying a business 
You said something I thought, thought was just very interesting and I've repeated it since. This is not a trend. Do you still feel the same way about the little shock that we're going through on revenue and others? Not for every business like restaurants, but what do you have to say to that? Hopefully a positive thing. Yeah, uh, it's not a trend. This, this is an anomaly that's going to pass. We're going to be, I think, back to normal at the very latest, uh, the first quarter of next year, maybe early. I think, uh, well, let me give you an example. In my practice here, my uh, business brokerage practice, when this, this uh, coronavirus issue became big national news, uh, my phone stopped ringing, just dead stopped. I didn't get a phone call from either a buyer or a seller or either somebody asking me to buy advertising. Uh, just no calls for about three or four weeks. And then it started picking up again. And now I'm, I'm as busy as I was before the virus uh, news hit. So I think we're, we're returning to some sense of normalcy now. And I think, you know, by the first of the year, we'll be back to So uh, the effect I see that this mess, the corona mess, might have is that some business owners who've been considering, let's say, for a number of years, selling their business, they've been in it for decades, and it's getting close to time to sell. Uh, I think maybe they are going to take this as a situation that pushes them in a definite decision that they need to sell and it's time to retire. Uh, and I tell you, there's no better biz, no better time than right now to buy a business with rates historically low. And if you use an SBA loan to buy the business, the SBA forgives the first six payments give six months payments. So that makes it an excellent time to buy and sell a business, I think. Wow, that's, that's encouraging news because if you're motivated to sell, you're motivated to buy instead of waiting for some kind of all clear sign, it may be time to go right now. Uh, that's what you're saying. I appreciate that. Uh, and, you, and you know, John, the average time of Average time frame that it takes to sell a business is seven months from listing to closing. So if you list a business, if a business owner uh, comes to you and lists a business this week, it's probably not going to sell until January, say. So there's a lead time involved, and we'll more than likely be back to pretty much normal by the time it sells. And navigating those those waters and, and maybe a couple months of revenue hit from the coronavirus is a part of the job of the business broker, isn't it, to help that owner or buyer or seller through those times? Yeah, yeah absolutely. What absolutely. are the what are the very important questions that a buyer might ask? To a fearful, the buyer's gonna be fearful that the downturn in revenue of the business is permanent. It's not in most cases. This is temporary. Uh, you know, people exaggerate things in the present, almost always. I'm a private pilot, for instance, and when I'm 
flying in my airplane and there's a storm lying across my route, the storm looks like it fills up the windshield and it stretches from horizon to horizon, left to right. Looks awful. But when I flip on the radar in the cockpit, I can see that it's isolated and you can deviate around it. That's not a perfect analogy for the situation we're in, but I think it has some relevance. It sure does. I like that. I love that image. I would not trust myself as a pilot, but I'm, I would trust <laughs> you as a pilot. Uh, and thank you for giving us all the guidance you always do. Is there, what's a good motivation and a reason to sell a business? If, you, if someone's listening to this and saying, you know what, I ought to find out what my business is worth. That's one thing a business broker can do is give an opinion of value. And then what's a good reason to sell a business if you're thinking about it? That's not maybe just an emotional reaction to a temporary change. Yeah. Well, we have a lot of people at or approaching retirement age, the baby boomer generation this year, the leading edge of the baby boomer generation, me, turned 74 this year. Uh, those people have been thinking about selling for a long, long time. Health issues are another reason, somebody having health issues. And, and friction among ownership sometimes is a trigger for selling the business if they're multiple owners and they're not getting along. If they come to a rational decision, it's usually to sell the business and split the money rather than trying to continue with all the friction uh, that may be in the situation. Um, and, you know, burnout is real. People, after operating a business for several decades, are burned out sometimes. Uh, it's real. I, I experienced it when I owned a heavy equipment ship in central Alabama. Uh, I was in it for 20 years. I got so burned out in it that I hated to see customers walking in the front door. So you know it's time to sell at that point. Uh, all of those are, are reasons to sell. Uh, and maybe there is just the reason that I run into occasionally. It's a legitimate reason. People have built up a really good business and they want to cash it in. Uh, they'd rather have the money, then continue growing the business. So that's a good reason. Uh, I, I see private equity doing that quite a bit. Excellent answer, thank you. What trends are you seeing in terms of seller financing? Are sellers more likely to offer financing now? Are banks requiring it more given the COVID situation? Is the percentage or amount increasing? What, just what are you seeing in the seller financing area? You know, in the Great Recession of 2008 and 2009, seller financing was the only way to sell a business. Even if you had a willing buyer and a willing seller, they couldn't get outside financing. So the seller had to finance it to sell the business. Most of those situation, situations worked out well for the seller and the buyer. Um, I don't know what this COVID thing is doing to SBA rules and regs yet. They're still shoveling out money on the SBA 7A business acquisition program. Uh, and I 
suspect, if anything, their already loose parameters are going to get uh, even more relaxed uh, as the federal government tries all sorts of incentives to further business, further economy. So, uh, you know, I think you can buy a good business with 15% down. Uh, some banks, it's not an SBA regulation, but some SBA bank lenders require the seller to take back a 10% seller note as part of the financing. Okay. The seller would be in second position behind the SBA. Uh, but that, that works out okay, too, because the, uh, the seller on that note gets a decent interest rate. Uh, much more than the seller could get, in fact, taking the money and putting it in a CD. So uh, we can get real creative on financing now. I had a transaction not too long ago that we used four different finance sources on. Uh, you know, we can get creative, and that's another value that business brokers bring to the table. We stay current on who's lending what, what banks have this appetite. Uh, what the SBA is doing, uh, so forth. Stay up to date on that. That's part of our responsibility. How do business brokers handle earnest money today? Is that ever a part of a transaction that you see? What's, you know, in a, a buyer offer to purchase, what is earnest money? What does it do in a brokerage kind of transaction? I have my own separate trust account that earnest money goes into. It's bonded and insured. Um, Earnest money really in business brokerage, I'll say it, has little relevance really because the, any offer a, a buyer makes is fully contingent on a further future due diligence investigation. And if the buyer decides to walk away from the transaction at any point during due diligence, the Earnest money deposit is fully refunded and promptly funded. It only becomes non-refundable when the buyer signs off on the completion of due diligence. Then, when you head to the closing table, that uh, earnest money deposit is applied towards the purchase price of the business. But as far as amounts, uh, some brokers I've heard try to go for 10%, some 5%. Uh, I've taken as little as $500 on a transaction, just anything to show a good faith deposit. That's It's just the, the buyer of the business in putting down an earnest money deposit should understand it's totally refundable until his due diligence is completed and he's completely satisfied. This is really important perspective on working with a business broker, I have just one or two more questions as, as we wind down. Can you tell us one or two stories or maybe about due diligence, any interesting examples or unusual situations? I know you have, I know you have many, but is there anything that a, that a person? Uh, <laughs> an unusual one jumps out. Uh, it was a gentleman's club, let's say otherwise known as a strip joint. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, 
It seemed like uh, the buyers on that and my fellow business brokers in the office at that time wanted to do an extraordinary amount of due diligence in that. Oh, no. <laughs> That's unusual. I asked. For it uh, it was an interesting uh, assignment. Um, I never refuse to refund an earnest money deposit on the few, very few transactions I've had that didn't get through due diligence. As a practical matter, the buyer during due diligence can walk away from the transaction for any reason. Uh, and, and I never question it. If they tell me they want to walk away from it, the earnest money deposit is funded. Uh, I've only had, in the 20 years I've been doing this, um, one buyer who, after due diligence, after he had signed off on due diligence, wanted his money back, wanted to back out. And, and in that case, the buyer and the seller split the, the uh, earnest money deposit and let him go. I never want to get sued. I'm not going to push a legal point just to push it for a little bit of money. Uh, so I'm, I'm very uh, practical on the, the due diligence and the earnest money act. Well, I just have one question more to ask you, and then if the Tom or shipment want to open it up, uh, what do, what do people like about working with business brokers that you've trained? What what's some of the responses that keeps you training us to be better at what we do out there? Because I think you love the stories we come and tell you about our successes and about how buyers buyers and sellers together. But what makes you love what you do, and and, and impart that to people like us? You know, the training I do, which is a two-day seminar put on three or four times a year in various locations around the country, uh, is real rewarding to me. And particularly, one of the things I enjoy the most is that the seminar uh, contains unlimited follow-up afterwards. Uh, people who go through the seminar can call or email me anytime with any questions. I do enjoy that and hearing the stories and being able to help on an ongoing basis. So that's fun. Uh, some of the people that have come through the seminar have done fabulously successful. Uh, one interesting story is that a, a Russian national, uh, now a U.S. citizen living in New York, Did real well, has a big uh, M&A practice now on uh, what's the advertising street in Manhattan down Madison Avenue, has a M&A practice on Madison Avenue and retained me uh, a couple of years ago uh, to find uh, stock-in-the-box locations all across the country. They had a client buying uh, emergency medicine medicine and, and appointment drop-in, walk-in medical clinics. And that was very interesting and rewarding for me. A uh, former student that came through the seminar retaining me to find uh, medical offices. So I enjoy uh, the ongoing uh, 
interface with broker. And, uh, you know, I, I uh, enjoy instilling in the people that come through the seminar the need for integrity, education, knowledge. There was a time years ago where business brokerage was sort of considered wild, wild west. Uh, it was unregulated. Uh, there were a lot of cowboys in the profession uh, that didn't know what they were doing. So I, I enjoy contributing uh, the uh, cure to that, so to speak, people that come through the seminar. Well, we've taken your medicine, and it is good, and we're very healthy for it, and our businesses are doing well. Um, Oak Capital Advisors would like to thank you. Northway Commercial would like to thank you for doing what you've done for us over the years. And I hope we can come back and do this again. I'm going to turn it over for any questions from Tom or Shipman, and then we'll close it out. But thank you, Will Bruce. I see you're in front of the Fairhope, Alabama, beautiful gardens there. And uh, part of the part of this built, you really have bought and helped buy and sell a lot of businesses down there. Well, full disclosure, this uh, background is not my backyard. Okay. <clears throat> well, it is for the moment. Tom and Shipman, anything? Well, one question for you. One question for you. If you were starting out as a new business broker, what would be the two or three things that you would recommend to help that broker get launched? Good question. Uh, first, have a professional website. Really nice-looking professional website. Uh, start networking among business owners, bank branch managers, business lawyers, CPAs. Let them know you're in practice. Hand out brochures when you meet them. Uh, and then launch some marketing, maybe a blog or direct mail. I'm not a big fan of telemarketers. They haven't proven to be at all while for me or as uh, marketing. Uh, but those three things, website and online presence being very important. I think everybody's online. When I first started business brokerage, we would uh, run ads in the Sunday business for sale classified section of the newspaper. And uh, that was the extent of it. Nobody's reading the newspaper these days. Folks from next door be uh, calling you from your online presence now, not from any print ad. Well, I'd like to thank you uh, as, as well as John for helping us and participating in this seminar. And we really appreciate it. Thank you, Will. Well, thank you, guys. It's nice to be with you. I know y'all have developed an excellent reputation in Raleigh and Eastern North Carolina. So congratulations to you. Oh, thank you. We've added Shipman over there who's who's helped us on the commercial real estate side. Go ahead, Shipman. I don't know if you can hear him. I'm, uh, can you hear me okay? I'm, uh, yeah. I'm, yeah. Got a new office, Wi-Fi going on here. So, anyways, I'm you know I'm, I'm I get energized about the business because you know all three of you guys have spoke about the pool of potential sellers out there. You know, with the generation change and those opportunities. And and I, I believe at the end of the day, what we do is it's a community service. We know how important these small to medium sized businesses are, the communities yeah. that we serve, and and, and that. That invigorates me. It it it, it drives me to, to provide a service to this community. 
Um, I also look at this thing, Will, and I'd like to get your comments on it. Is is unfortunately there's a bad unemployment issue in our country now. That is an opportunity if we think about it for for the to be potential buyers of these businesses. You know, somebody's yeah. obviously going through some, could be some very emotional career changes. And how do yeah. we reach? How do we reach those people and? And provide the service, guide them through this this journey of business ownership through through our services. I, I think I think the pools are separate, and and our job is to bring them together and 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 drive drive commerce in our communities. Yeah, um, you know I think social media is probably the best avenue to reach these people. Uh, Facebook, although I'm not a real Facebook fan, but uh, there's some active business uh, groups, Facebook and LinkedIn. Uh, social media and, and go to these places where these young unemployed might be and uh, talk about the issues of buying business and how they can do their own costs and those kind of things. Uh, and then, uh, you know, talk to uh, your referral network. Let them know that you've got some opportunities that don't cost half a million dollars for people that want to go into business for themselves. That's great right. advice. And uh, yep. so thank, thank you again, Will. Uh, just as we end, if, if people are listening and want to know, how do they get a hold of you, Will? Tom and Shipman, and we'll close out with just the contact information so that we can stay in touch if anyone has any questions after this. Start with you, Will. Uh, email address is will, W-I-L-L, at williambruce.org. That's and the best where, one. Where can people catch your blog that's so informative? Williambruce.org. Tom? Well, you can uh, look up O Capital on OcapitalAdvisors.net. Uh, email address is Tom at OcapitalAdvisors.net and uh, mobile phone 919-452-2788. Chipman. Awesome. I'm gonna mine's gonna be pretty simple. So um, I'm 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 affiliated with uh, Tom at Oak Capital and also affiliated with uh, uh, a commercial firm in Wake Forest, North Carolina. The best way to reach me is ship north at Gmail. Make it real simple. Easy. Final last words, Will, and we'll close it out, sir. You guys are doing such a good job up there. Any buyer or seller working with you would be well represented. Thank you so much, sir. Enjoy it.